You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Norton. This is Jet Nation Radio, and it is football season. Thank God. What a, in what is quite possibly the most miserable offseason we've ever had to endure, and I mean in terms of football, in terms of what's going on in the real world, we have been wanting this, this distraction from the, uh, the misery that has encapsulated uh, so many people's lives. Thank goodness, a a distraction from all of it. Now, whether or not you want to consider how good or bad the Jets might be, that might make it a little, that, that may be, you know, make it not quite as pleasant. But who gives a damn? Alex Varallo, my co-host. Alex, it is football season. 17, the next 17 Sundays, we will be talking about NFL football and watching the Jets on 16 of those 17. How are you feeling, Alex? Well, that landed with a thud. Alex, you're with me. All right, so it's Tell Me Alex is live with me on the air. And uh, he's not he's not uh, replying. So anyway, okay, he's just messing me. He's having some computer issues. Alex will be with us shortly. But it's football season, folks. Jets bills in just a couple days. And um, you know what makes this one interesting division rival, but let's be honest. In all reality, these teams didn't play each other last year. The Bills got to face the Jets with with a mono infected Sam Darnold. And the Jets faced the Bills practice squad. The Jets faced the Bills practice squad in week 17. The Bills faced the mono-infected Sam Darnold in week one. So you can really kind of throw out what happened last year. I mean, listen, as far as the Jets are concerned, you can throw out everything because of the fact. I mean, listen, this team just completely – excuse me. This team just completely – Rebuilt their own line. Four or five uh, starters, brand new starters. Everyone's excited to see Mackay Becton. And hang on, I'm just, Alex, Alex is telling me he is here. Alex, are you there? Alex, you with me? Hey, there he is. Alex Varallo, ladies and gentlemen. Man, I was not – I, Alex, I promise you, if Blog Talk didn't let you on tonight, that this was going to be the last <laughs> show on Blog Talk. All the issues, all the errors, all the nights this show has not gone on because of Blog Talk screw-ups. If it didn't let you on this show tonight, week one preview, season preview, that was it. There was, I wouldn't we, care. We, we would do the show – we would do time. it by smoke signal. I don't care. <laughs> Alex, now, Alex. How are you feeling? Season's here. Jets probably won't be very good, but who gives a damn? It's time for some football. How you doing, Alex? 
I'm doing well. And a special thank you to you and Dylan, um, you know, for covering for me during a little time of crisis here. But things are getting back in action. Um, you know, it's, it's in the past now. Um, the house is, is up on four legs, we hope. And, um, you know, like you said, it's a, an extremely exciting week. Football is back. Um, the Jets are less than a few days away from actually playing meaningful football. Um, like you said, it might not be pretty because things have not been going great throughout camp. Um, guys are struggling. Guys are getting hurt. But, you know, these guys, had a, they get paid to do this stuff, and they got to figure out how to be a winning team, uh, you know, before Sunday or at least by Sunday. So um, I'm excited for it just like you are. Um, it's been a long wait. It's probably the longest offseason. Um, worst. Worst offseason ever. In the worst, yeah. I Dude, mean, we no thought the world was going to end. Year. I thought the world was over. <laughs> I was like, well, that's it. I get to die without seeing the Jets ever win a Super Bowl, which I still might. But roll with the zombies. <laughs> I'm telling you. It was like, that's it. The world's over. We got riots. We got fires. We got pandemics. We got everything. It's it's insanity. Are up on deck. It's a goddamn horror movie. Yeah. How crazy is that? I can't even remember if I talked about that on the show. But for those of you who missed it, by the way, the Pentagon acknowledged that there are aliens and nobody skipped a beat. Everybody's just like, ah, whatever. I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I can't find toilet paper or a mask anywhere. I don't have time to worry about aliens. I mean, if you yeah, would have told do, me. Do they have toilet paper? If you would have said to me, Glenn, at some point in your life, the Pentagon is going to announce that they have alien aircraft not made from this world and no one's going to give a damn. I would have been like, what? What the hell? What are you talking about? And yet, <laughs> here we are today. Uh, Pentagon acknowledged we have uh, crafts that were not of this world. And it, it barely a blip. Barely a blip. It was two seconds on the news. And then it was back to the riots and the pandemics and the, and the, and the protests and just absolute <laughs> insanity. It's the craziest year That's ever. regular tune schedule. <laughs> it is just, it is nuts. And I, I swear to God, I got, I, every time I go on the internet, there's something crazier than something from the day before. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's complete madness. But football's here. We're going to talk about the Jets' 53-man roster. We're going to talk about their practice squad. We're going to make some bold predictions for the upcoming season. We're going to predict the record for the upcoming season. We're going to talk a little bit about Adam Gase. What does he have to do to keep his job? All this stuff. Plenty to cover. Uh, plenty of excitement. One of the big stories, Alex, uh, or not, not so much, not a huge story, but it came as somewhat of a surprise. The Jets did their 53. Some people freaked out because they cut Jonathan Harrison. And, it, you know, a lot of people felt like uh, he was, you know, he had a shot to make the roster. Um, and, you know, and, and Joe Douglas addressed it yesterday. He said that it was uh, an excruciating decision to make. That, you know, it was they, they haven't ruled out the possibility of bringing him back. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that that'll happen now at this point. You can't I can't foresee a situation because, you know, jo- Josh Andrews was the other the guy he was competing with. They let him go initially, but he's back now. He's the backup. Listen, he might be an upgrade. I don't know. All I do know is the guy's been in the league for five years, four or five years. He's never started a football game. So that does worry me a little bit. But, again, he's back. There is a, now a backup center on the roster. But let's uh, let's get right into it. Some people critical, Alex, of the fact that the Jets, of course, the because of COVID, practice squads expanded to 16 players this year instead of the usual 10. Jets taking advantage of that. They bring backup quarterbacks, David Fales and Mike White, back into the fold. They activate Joe Flacco. Josh Morgan makes the, 
makes the uh, the roster. And then, of course, Sam Darnold um, is your starter. So now you've got a situation where you're carrying five quarterbacks. You know, of course, not all on the active roster, but some people were a little bit surprised by that. Um, would, and I, I said Josh Morgan, James Morgan. James Morgan makes it. Flacco is active. Darnold's a starter. White and Fails on the practice squad. What do you think of the Jets keeping five quarterbacks? Yeah, very interesting. Um, I saw only a couple tweets um, from the guys on the beat um, before they went and they put an unofficial depth chart out. And I was counting up the linemen and counting up the quarterbacks. And I said, geez, a lot of these numbers just don't add up right. Um, We don't have enough wide receivers. doesn't look like we're carrying enough linemen to get through the year predicated on what we knew from last year. And that's kind of what we do. We live in the past as Jets fans. So, you know, I'm looking at it and saying, you know, eight or nine linemen, that's, that's questionable. And you're going with five QBs. Usually the standard is like three or four. And normally the third guy's on your practice squad. Um, yeah, even four teams. is really so, rare. Yeah. Right. And, and to go for five, you know, I know that they said that they had a plan where they wanted to keep, um, you know, an, an extra guy quarantined for like the entire year. Um who knows? Maybe that's that David fails <laughs> punishment. Um, but then again, you know, I had a, a conversation with a, somebody on Twitter the other day, and they had said, you know, why, why does this guy get the stick? What does he have over Gase or this or that? And I said, you know what? It's kind of like in school. You know, he's the teacher's pet. Um, they get all yeah, the perks. They get all the, you know, they get first first dibs on everything, you know. So that's just kind of how it goes. And I guess that's how we would have to explain it is that um, – whatever relationship is going on with David fails and, and Gase, it's obviously a strong one. Um, and clearly what he does on the field does not reflect his job status. So that, that yeah, was, I was, was going to say, it, it, <laughs> you know, thinking, thinking back a million years ago to my elementary school days, normally the teacher's pet got some good grades. Like the teacher's pet did some things to get that favor. What that, what David fails has done. I have no idea. Um, we know how it worked out last year when Adam Gase brought Luke Falk with him from Miami, um, once that failed, he picked up David Fails, who was on the couch, who was also with him in Miami. So he preferred Falk to Fails. Falk failed, and Fails came back. Say that five times fast. So five <laughs> quarterbacks, Alex. The running back situation, no surprises there. Uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell, your starter. You got Gore. You got Perrin. Uh, I saw Rich Samini today uh, tweet out. Uh, not tw- Maybe he didn't tweet it. It was an article or something along those lines saying he thinks that the Jets at some point during the season will trade Le'Veon Bell for a late-round pick and uh, open the door for Perry to step in as the starter. Now, I mean, stranger things have happened, but I just I, – I would mm. think the cap hit. Even I mean, it, the thing is, if you do it sort of mid – you know, if if you make a deal when you're up against the salary – up against the trade deadline, you've paid a lot of his salary out already. Um, so that's kind of water under the bridge. There's nothing you can do to recoup that money. So the cap is a little bit – the cap hit is a little bit less. Uh, that move would surprise me, but really no surprises at running back, right? It, it's it's all – the only thing that remains to be seen now is how do the carries get split up. Uh, I think fans are going to be pretty upset. If, if Frank Gore gets more than sort of 15% of the carries, I think Jets fans are going to be pretty upset. What are your thoughts on that, Alex? Yeah, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, 20 – It'll be about 20 to 25 touches, I would figure, for Le'Veon Bell per game. So, you know, based on that percentage, at 15%, you're looking at, what, five to seven touches? 
to to go to um, to Gore. So I don't know if that's going to make it, you know, the balance off that much off scale. Um, I'm sure there's pl- going to be plenty of people out there to complain about it, um, you know. But this is to be expected. Um, we don't know what to expect from Adam Gase. Uh, we we know that there's this narrative that he and Bell don't get along. Both of them say differently. We don't really know. Um, we do know Bell looks to be in great shape, and he looks like he's ready to run through a brick wall. So why you wouldn't try to get a guy out there that's in phenomenal shape that can actually help your team offensively after having such a bad year last year, I, I just don't understand why he wouldn't want to deploy him. Um, but maybe if there is something to, you know, they want to market him and, you know, put out these videos of him working out. He's in great shape. He looks like he's going to do this, that, and the third. Um, so that a team could say, hey, you know what, Bill looks like he's, you know, might go back to that 2017 form. We should probably see if the Jets want to, you know, take take a, a few future picks for him or something, you know. So maybe the Jets are marketing him for a future deal, and, and Bell and, you know, um, P. Ryan will go ahead and um, get the extra carries. Um, not really sure, to be honest with you. You know, anything's possible with, with this front office at Adam Gase. Um, I kind of hope that they wouldn't, you know, tip the scales and they let Bell get his touches because, you know, he's desperate. It really seems like he's hungry and he's ready to hit the ground running. So, you know, I would be a little bit upset if, if I were to come away from on Monday and looking at this, the box score and, and seeing that more touches went to Gore rather than Bell. That That's not going to sit well for me. That's not going to sit well for this fan base. And, you know, the media will have a field day about it. Yeah, I think even I don't even think it has to be a majority. I think it, I think if we see Le'Veon Bell get fourteen carries and Frank Gore gets nine, um, people are going to be pretty upset. Um, <clears throat> now, yeah. listen, I know there were some stories from Brian Costello, uh, Connor Hughes, saying that uh, Frank Gore was the better running back at this point. Frank Gore was having the better yeah. camp. Listen, I'm not there. I can't say. All right, I don't know for sure. But um, I do know those guys like to give Adam Gase every single benefit of the doubt to the point where they're kind of on his side. I don't know if they're getting scoops from him. I'm, I'm assuming they're getting some type, some type of access that they wouldn't be getting if they weren't sort of pandering to him. And I don't, I don't begrudge them that. Listen, being an NFL beat guy nowadays, I can't imagine how difficult that is. Guys, you, you don't get a scoop anymore. You can't get a scoop. Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter get all the scoops. You know, so if you're a local guy and you say, look, uh, you know, you back channel Adam Gase and say, look, man, we'll present you in a favorable manner every step of the way if you feed us, the, give us a morsel every now and then. And you do see that happen. So, um, you know, Connor Hughes and, and, and Brian Costello are saying that, 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 uh, that Bell doesn't look as good as Gore. Um, we'll see how that plays out on game day. At wide receiver, the Jets... They're thin, man. Uh, you know, uh, Vincent Smith had the core injury. Jeff Smith, who you can't expect a whole lot from, but he's injured as well. That leaves the Jets with five receivers currently on the roster, five active receivers. And you got Denzel Mims, who didn't run a single practice rep uh, this season. You know, he ran some routes against air, but not a single rep against an NFL DB. That's concerning. Rashad Perriman, who has missed some time with a knee injury that Adam Gase did acknowledge the other day. The team was way off in, in their estimation. They said he would miss a couple of days. He missed over a week, and they said his knee kept swelling up and going down and swelling up and going down. 
They're now saying both guys will be a go. But A, what the hell can you really expect from Denzel Mims? When he steps on the field Sunday, it's going to be the first time in his life he's gone head-to-head against an NFL corner. Perriman's got the knee. Chris Hogan is listed as a starter. Jamison Crowder might have 17 catches on Sunday. And then uh, Braxton Berrios, uh, another sort of another slot guy, another 5'9", quickish guy. But that's it. That's it at wide receiver. So it's going to be interesting this Sunday. But uh, what are your thoughts there, Alex? I think uh, I, I don't hate it as much as some people do. I think if they do it the right way, and we'll talk about this a little bit in the game preview, but I think if they lean heavily on, on Herndon and Lev Bell as a receiver and, and, uh, and Griffin at tight end, I think they have enough there to move the football. What are your thoughts, Alex? Yeah, I think that they're going to be able to, you know, figure out a way to move the rock. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking of this, you know, we, everybody thinks like we need to have like 10 weapons ready to go for Darnold at, at all times. And realistically with five long sets of linemen and Darnold being one of the, the guys in the backfield, you're really working with, you need four options more or less that, that you can rely on um, five to be exact. So my five in my head is Bell, Herndon, Crowder, Mims and Perriman. With those, with those five, I think that you should be able to do stuff. And then you got to trickle in everybody else, the Griffin, the West Coast, you know, the Barrios and, and, and players like that. Um, and, and find ways like, you know, we did during that Oakland game last year to get other people that we don't, that the other teams won't expect to make plays happen. So, you know, maybe having less to work with might provide more offense for us because it kind of seemed last year we really couldn't figure out you know, besides handing off the bell, um, hand the ball to Bell, you know, right up the gut, and then watching him try to dance through, you know, the smallest of holes um, and try to establish, you know, an offense that way. I think work with what you got, get the ball to your playmakers, um, and, you know, primarily Bell, Herndon, and Crowder is what this team's really going, how this, how this engine is going to run. Uh, I think those are the three main components here that they, that they need to focus on. Um, you know, we seem to be stronger in the tight end room than we do in the wide receiver room at this point. So we got to utilize that. Um, we got to find ways to maybe, you know, put Wesco in as the inline and, and flex out Herndon and try to create a matchup with a linebacker or safety. Um, you know, Gase is going to have to get super creative in order to find ways to be more dominant. And, you know, sometimes maybe this is a scenario where less is more. Um, but, you know, we'll find out Sunday. And who were your five, Alex? You said, you said between you said Herndon, Crowder, Bell, Perriman, and was it Mims or or Griffin? You said there. Mims, I threw in there as well. Yeah, because Mims, you, you talk about that. You know, he's another guy with that sub four four speed. Him and Perriman, you know, can, can both can both obviously chew up a lot of real estate in a, in, a, in a short time. So they they should be able to work the underneath routes with the with the other guys with guys like Bell. I mean, listen, create some mismatches with Le'Veon Bell for God's sakes. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And listen, I'm so damn tired of, of questioning Adam Gase, but I'm glad that he came out himself and said, I didn't do a good job of Le'Veon. I got to do a better job of getting the ball in space. I didn't line him up as a receiver as much. That's all refreshing. But at the same time, it's so damn frustrating because here I am an idiot, dumb fan who's not coached a day of football in my life. But I, I was screaming that for 17 weeks last year. 
um, and Adam Gates needed a full season and an off season to, to kind of come to that conclusion. But, you know, moving on from that, I think that they, I, I said it last year and it obviously didn't pan out. I said, I thought they had enough weapons last year with Robbie Herndon, Bell Crowder, of course, Herndon missed the season. Bell never lines up at wide receiver. So, uh, you know, that, that, that obviously limited what they can do, but if Adam Gay stays true to his word, and uses Le'Veon Bell as a receiver, and Chris Herndon stays healthy, you're absolutely right. And I've, I've said it a million times. I've had this argument with people, whether it's on the forums at JetNation.com, which if you are not a member, log in, join it, uh, sign up, join in the conversation. I've been saying it for years. The talk about needing a number one wide receiver is overrated. Get a guy, three, four, five receivers who can, who can get open, you know, if you have enough guys, like just with the guys you've mentioned, Herndon, Bell, Crowder, those guys, they should be able to get, create some separation underneath, and uh, and then you take the occasional shot deep down the field with uh, with Mims with Mims or Perriman, and there's enough there. It's a matter of does the does the offensive line hold up, and that's obviously going to be the biggest question heading into this season, and it'll really be the the, the biggest factor. In, in determining, you know, whether or not this team, you know, plays plays decent football and, uh, you know, are, are, are they worth tuning in for? So uh, we mentioned a couple of the tight ends, but let's go over all of them now, Alex. Heading to tight end, Herndon Griffin will be uh, your top two guys. Then third in line is Trevon Wesco, who we've both been big fans of. Uh, I know you love them leading up to the draft. He's still here. And, yep, and we talked about we've talked extensively about how his play improved late in the season as a blocker. Yes, he was non-existent as a pass catcher, but listen, <laughs> so were a lot of guys. You see, um, how and I then De- my my bad luck is I I predicted that he was going to get cut in my fifty-three man last month, and now he makes the roster. You see what I did there? Yeah, see the uh, the uh, reverse uh, psychology. Got to use my word. There you go. That's it. <laughs> Listen, that's part of the reason I'm so hard on Adam Gase. Um, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, I'm so damn tired of giving all these Jets coaches the benefit of the doubt and making every excuse in the book for them. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Oh, but it's not his fault. And then they always suck. Um, so Adam Gase, yeah. you know, I, I kind of felt like, you know what? The second I feel like this guy's not any good, I'm not making any excuses. I'm not giving him benefit of the doubt. Either get the damn job done or don't. Uh, Daniel Brown, also part of that four tight end group. Wesco, Herndon, Griffin, Brown. What are your thoughts all around on that group, Alex? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was was kind of curious on why do we have so many tight ends coming into the fold here? And then when you look at the wide receiver room and you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. We need bodies. Um, anyway, how? So um, coming back with a lot of the usual suspects here, um, even though Herndon really wasn't in the mix last year, but I think kind of going into year two um, with pretty much the same unit uh, should be beneficial as far as knowledge of the offense and what's expected of them. Clearly Herndon, who is our number one tight end, he has the least experience out there with the guys um, as far as live play is concerned. I mean, the only thing that we got to see him do was make a couple nice catches in preseason last year. um, And you just kind of thought like, wow, you know, with Herndon in the mix, this team's really going to roll. Um, and I'm kind of predicating, um, you know, still that this year we're going to have something of an offense because number 86 um, 
you know, is going to have a, a big, big impact on uh, what we do this season. So I'm definitely excited to see, um, you know, the resurgence of Chris Herndon. I'd like to see West Gog have something, you know, more of a role this year, whether it's as a fullback, H-back. You know, I want to see this guy get more involved in the run game, let him build some confidence, let him get a little dirt on him. Um, and what I'm actually intrigued about is Ryan Griffin. Because um, I saw a comment that came back a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to go too far, far on this topic here, but whatever injury he had, which I believe was his knee, if I'm not mistaken, um, he he admitted he's like, I don't think I'll ever be the same. So, you know, a little bit of bad luck for the Jets because he was having, I guess, a career year, um, you know, as far as you know, statistic wise go, because he had a nice stretch in the middle of the season to the late end of the season before his injury. Um, and it's just part of our luck. You know, we, we signed somebody that we kind of feel that could, you know, be good for Sam and, and he hurts his knee and, you know, who knows if that guy will ever be back to the same form he was ever at. So kind of intrigued to see what kind of Chris, um, uh, Ryan Griffin we're going to get. Um, will he be able to push through this adversity or is this, this injury that he claims, you know, has set him back going to be, you know, detrimental to the point to where he may not be on the team next year. Yeah, that is a really good point. I actually didn't get a chance to read that article. I saw the headline, the Ryan Griffin one saying he wouldn't be the same, and I just, I, I can't even, I can't remember when it was, but when I saw it, I think in my mind I thought, oh, he means like later in life he won't be the same guy. But I think you're right. I think he was saying he won't be the same player. So that'll be interesting to see because it's not very often you hear a guy say that. Um, right on the offensive line, Alex, come on, man. Have you have you ever been this excited to watch an offensive lineman as you are Mackay Becton on this Sunday? And and and, hey, and you know and, and go ahead and explain why your answer is no. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a ma- a mammoth of a man. I don't know if you heard. Um, he's he's kind of big. Um, he's a, he's a big fellow. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I saw somebody tweet that out, which I had no idea uh, up up until up maybe, until two weeks question. ago. I thought he was an average-sized human being, um, and, and then nope. someone thank thank God, uh, it, it's like the people who take pictures of a thermometer when it's ninety-nine degrees out, and you're like, oh, <laughs> had you not done that, I was gonna wear my parka today. Thank you so much <laughs> for taking that picture of your dashboard in your car to let me know it's warm out. Thank you, thank you, Jets uh, beat writers, for telling me Mackay Becton is apparently large. Yep. And and I remember watching film on him, you know, way back, um, way too earlier in the year. And uh, just saying, you know, I don't know, you know, at the point, there was a point in time where he was projected as a second-round pick. Um, and then, I, I, obviously, as we got closer to April, people started to realize as they, you know, got to see a little bit more and more and do more research on him. Um, the guy's a mauler. I mean, he's a road grader. He's going to go out there and people are going to make defensive backs are going to make defense. I mean, uh, business decisions out in oh, space yes, indeed. on whether or not they want to make contact with this mammoth of, of a man. And there might be some linebackers who do the same thing. You know, you, you might see a couple of those matadors doing the Olay out there. I'm, I mean, I'm not even joking. Um, when this guy gets a full head of steam, he could really, really do some special things. And I, I, I'm just wondering who his first victim is going to be. Um, you know, who's the first guy that gets buried and belly flopped um, for, for Buffalo? You know, 
um, I'm very excited to see what this young man has to bring to the table. Yeah, I think uh, it's not something you see very often. Um, <clears throat> someone, I can't remember if it was the Jets themselves, someone tweeted something about uh, how Mikai Becton was going to make his uh, make his debut, and, and Greg Van Roten um, kind of retweeted it and said, like, it's going to be something else or get ready for the show or something like that. So I think I think these folks who have had the opportunity to watch him up close, um, even fellow offense, NFL offensive linemen, are looking at this guy like, Jesus, what is this guy capable of? Um, so, you know, it's exciting. But listen, at the same time, Alex, there will be hiccups. You know, the guy oh, yeah. didn't do a ton of pass blocking at Louisville. Um, it'll be, you know, it'll be one of the key matchups on Sunday. And it really, I mean, every Sunday when you're talking about a rookie left tackle is going to be a key matchup. And But I'm excited to see him, man. I'm excited for Mekhi Becton. But listen, so the O-line, we've got Becton, we've got Lewis, we've got uh, McGovern in the middle, and then Van Roten at right guard, and then, uh, of course, Fant at right tackle. Uh, but we are doing the whole depth chart. So let's say uh, I was, I personally was very happy to see that uh, Chuma Adoga made the roster. That tells me that maybe he put in the work this offseason. Because, you know, we've said a million times, he has starter ability. It's a matter of does he put in the work. So the fact that, he's, that he hung around, tells me that the Jets felt like he did. Uh, McDermott makes it as a backup. Josh Andrews, who I'd already mentioned, is another guy who makes it as a backup. How do you feel about this group as a whole? And what are your thoughts on the the, uh, the Jonathan Harrison situation? Would you have kept him? Would you, uh, would, you, would you prefer they go with Andrews? And do you think money played a role? I mean, again, you're going with a proven backup in Jonathan Harrison versus a guy who's never started a game, but Harrison was due $2.5 million. And, uh, you know, for a fraction of that, they get Andrews back. Yeah, you know, when we were going through potential roster cuts um, a while, while back, um, you know, it was quite interesting because we said, you know, $2.5 million, you know, no dead cap money. You know, if you're trying to figure out a deal, you know, hypothetically when we were talking about Logan Ryan and Clowney and other big free agent names that were still out there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you're trying to figure out a way to get a couple more million dollars on the table here, you know, you make a move with a guy like that, there it is. So it's just pretty peculiar because we, I would have thought a cut like that would have happened, you know, several weeks ago. Um, But I guess, you know, um, what I was anticipating was maybe a cut, see if he clears, bring him back, restructure that deal a little bit. Um, cause I think he had like two or three years or something like that on the cheap, but, um, I was, I was anticipating, you know, him coming back maybe for like a million bucks or something like that, um, at a lower price because, you know, Avery Williamson did that. And I don't know how that conversation went, but more or less they were saying, look, we can save a lot of money just by letting you go. Um, but we want you to stay here, but we need you to, you know, rework a deal with Joe Douglas because, this was Mike McCagnan's deal and Mike's not here anymore. So we really don't want to honor that. Um, so I, I kind of thought maybe they'd figure out a way to come to terms with a lower, um, you know, figure there, but um, John's been a good guy for us. You know, I, all the guys that we've attempted to go forward with, uh, I think Wesley Johnson was the first, right? Then we tried yep. Spencer Long. Spencer Long, we brought yep. in Khalil, you know, a week or two before the Disaster. season started and, you know, this guy continued to show up, do his job, be a good teammate, 
and be there for Sam when he needed him. And when we called his name, he was ready to go. Um, wasn't the best offensive lineman that we've had the last three years. No, no, but, but he brought some stability to the last position. You know, as far as health is concerned and, you know, not being a major liability with penalties, you know, did he miss a block here or there? Yes. Um, did he miss a key there, you know, when he's supposed to combo block? More than likely. That's what you get when you have a backup, you know, playing as a starter. So, um, yeah, and listen, I, 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 him. I hope he lands somewhere. I'd love to see him come back, but, you know, John's a solid guy. Yeah, I, I, I say all the time that I'm guilty of uh, uh, placing too much emphasis on character. I just, that's, that's who I am. Like, some people don't care. Listen, uh, I, I think I, I quote, was it Bruce Arian? Somebody years ago said that if, uh, if Hannibal Lecter ran a 4 3, uh, they would, NFL GMs would diagnose him with an eating disorder and draft him. Um, coaches, GMs, and a lot of fans don't give a damn about character or what kind of person you are. I do. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I get it. Oh, it's not all choir, boys. I get it. But Jonathan Harrison is just everything you hear about him. I, you know, speaking to, to, to folks with the team about him when I was out of camp a couple years ago, speaking of the beat writers who get a chance to interview him on a regular basis, everybody raves about the guy. And I just, I like rooting for good people. I like watching good things happen to good people. So I thought it really sucked that he was gone. I don't love the move. And, uh, you know, again, that based largely on experience versus inexperience. But that, that's the direction they went, and they'll, the team will move on. I think, you know, he'll get a job somewhere. He won't be uh, – I don't think he'll be without a job for the, the whole season. Uh, will he land back with the Jets? No idea. But, uh, but that pretty much sums up the O-line. I think we covered everybody. Uh, let's see. Uh, Fantadoga, Becton, talked about them, talked about the centers. Yeah, I think we covered everyone. Talked about the guards. Cam Clark, um, of course, went on IR. That was something uh, – we'll, we'll touch on that actually right now. We'll cover that. Uh, Jets put five players on IR, but it's a little bit different this year than years past because of COVID, because of teams carrying extra guys, uh, players can come back in week four. So the Jets put Cam Clark, Patrick Onwasar, Jeff Smith, Vincent Smith, and Jabari Zuniga all on injured reserve, all eligible to return week four. We'll see how that goes. Um, Clark is a guy that, uh, you'll be hearing his name later, um, for me anyway, uh, in our bold predictions. So, Alex, moving along to the D-line. This is, uh, this is a group where they kept a lot of bodies. They, they, they retained a lot, of, a lot more than you would expect to see. And, um, but listen, there's a lot of talent in that group. Two surprises, Alex. I don't know if you had a chance to listen in to the show last week uh, when Dylan and I did our 53-man projections. And I, I kid you not, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a swing and a miss because I didn't say it on the air. But as soon as I hung up the phone – or as soon as I, sorry, as soon as Dylan hung up the phone, I came off off the show. I thought, ah, Jordan Willis. Jordan Willis is a guy, if you recall, uh, and anyone who, who, who listening who may recall, I did an article on him earlier this off season because uh, when I when I dug deep into the numbers and looked at his combine performance, Jordan Willis's measurables were absolutely through the roof, like elite, elite, elite level numbers. The 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 broad jump, the the his vertical, all the traits that, that these GMs look for, his explosiveness traits, were all sort of at an elite level. And I just thought, man, I know things haven't worked out for him, but the, Greg Williams, especially given the fact this team doesn't have a pass rusher, um, I should have had Jordan Willis on that list. 
and another guy who um, who ended up making it, John Franklin Myers, who kind of the forgotten man here, was uh, drafted a couple years ago by the Rams, played really well as a rotational guy, was let go for whatever reason. The Jets signed him last offseason. He ended up missing the entire season with an injury, and he makes it. So it, it's getting deep then. Like, you're, you're adding Willis. You're, you're adding uh, John Franklin Myers. And then you've got Henry Anderson. You've got Fuller on Zafatakasi. You've got Steve McClendon, Kyle Phillips, Nathan Shepard, Quinnen Williams, Bryce Huff, the only undrafted free agent made, to make the roster. Uh, Jets have all these guys listed as D linemen, but some of them are, of, of course, our edge guys. But what what are your thoughts on the group as a whole, and and what are your your expectations? Um, is anyone going to emerge here and get to the damn quarterback for the first time in about fifteen years, Alex? Yeah, it's an interesting group. Um, you know, there's no big names here. Um, the only one you know, out of the mix here that we could say is somewhat big is probably Quentin Williams and Jordan Jenkins, which only means any, anything in jet country. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I've got a good feeling about Jordan Jenkins this year. Uh, it's a, another contract year from here for, for him here. It's a show me year. And, you know, he kind of got stubbed this year. We were anticipating a player like Jordan, you know, making double digit money. And, you know, clearly that didn't happen. And, you know, he took a, a friendly deal and came home um, back with us. Apparently he had an offer to go to play at Baltimore, who probably is going to be considered a Super Bowl contender this year. So, you know, clearly playing here was important to him, um, which is good. And, um, you know, out of this entire group, um, you know, if there is a dark horse on there, you're probably right with Jordan Willis there. Um, you know, I remember watching him a couple of years ago and, um, you know, the guy's got springs in his legs and, you know, he's got some giddy up off that line of scrimmage and, you know, got to work on, you know, crafting his moves, obviously, but, you know, this could be somebody that benefits in Greg Williams system this year. And he kind of came to the party a little late last year. I think he was a mid season waiver pickup and, um, you know, he got some reps, he got his time, he got thrown into the mix because injuries kept occurring and guys had to keep coming up and stepping up to the plate. Um, so, yeah, you know, if I had to put a dark horse on, on this group here, I would definitely say Jordan Willis would be one of them. Um, but top dog's got to be Jordan Jenkins. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jenkins is going to, you know, I, I like the fact that he, he really has spoken out. I think he... I don't think he's lying when he says he's fed up with the losing. He's a competitive guy, and he's another one. He's another one that falls under my umbrella of just, like, good, solid, class guys. Um, so to hear him uh, sort of voice his, his displeasure with the losing with some expletives, I actually liked it. I thought, you know what, it's out of character for him, uh, but it tells me that he's a guy who really does want to win. He's tired of the losing. Jets fans are, too. Uh, enough of this already. But uh, we'll see, you know, we'll see what direction this team goes in this year. Um, that brings us to the linebackers, Alex. We've talked a little bit about Avery Williamson. Frankie Luvu made the roster. Harvey Lange made it, which actually surprised me a little bit. Of course, Jordan Jenkins. Very, Neville very Hewitt. shocking there. Yeah, Neville Hewitt, Blake Cashman, and Terrell Basham. Basham, not much of a surprise. Clearly a Greg Williams favorite. What are your thoughts on the linebacking group, Alex? Uh, yeah, I'm going to – go right into the Lange, um, 
situation here. What exactly did he do um, to say that he deserves a spot over James Burgess? Uh, James Burgess came in last year in a pinch and played pretty darn well. Um, not a lot of coverage duties for James, more of a, you know, run stopper. Um, and I don't know if Lange provides, you know, extra athleticism and coverage um, per se, because I remember he was getting mixed in with the outside linebackers last year at this point in time. Um, I don't really recall him being an inside guy, but yeah. you know, a linebacker is a linebacker, I suppose. So uh, that is probably the most shocking to me. Um, and, you know, right now Neville Hewitt is ahead of Cashman. So uh, that that's definitely another interesting one here um, because Hewitt, you know, when he came to this team was – I remember him doing an interview and saying, you know, you're going to get a relentless worker, someone that's, you know, going to give you 110% on the field at all times, and you're going to have a special teams ace. So, you know, kind of limited to what he could do, special teams, you know, if you guys need me, I'll come in there and try to make a play. And then the guy ends up becoming a starter and did pretty darn well, you know, with a few exceptions in coverage. Um, you know, not, not the best guy you want there covering an athletic tight end or somebody across the middle for sure. Um, I remember, you know, last year um, he led up a penalty in, in the uh, inside the five yard line. Um, because he was just basically um, not in a good spot and just made a bonehead play, but he didn't want to let up a touchdown. So he gave the ball to them on the one yard line. And that's what you kind of get from a backup guy. But uh, I found it quite interesting that Lange stuck and, and James walked. Um, I would have had that the other way. Um, but as far as this entire inside group here, I'm really intrigued to see if Blake Cashman can stay healthy and if he could be, um, you know, kind of like the coverage guy that we were anticipating him to be. Um, he got a lot of work last summer and in training camp um, as the nickelback inside linebacker. Um, and I, I just wonder if that's kind of going to be his role. Is he going to be like a sub-package kind of guy? Um, that comes in and, you know, covers the tight end or covers the running back and, you know, drops into zone and, and tries to do things with his speed. Because, um, you know, that's definitely something that Blake has. Unfortunately, he just, you know, his body uh, isn't as durable as we would like it or I'm sure as he would like it to be. Yeah, I think something that uh, that popped up the other day, and I know the depth charts don't mean a whole lot, but it was a little bit of a surprise. I don't know if you caught it. The uh, the Jets put out their unofficial depth chart. They had Avery Williamson as the starter, which you would expect, but uh, it was Connor Hughes of the uh, Athletic who said a few days earlier that Avery Williamson had Avery Williamson had been working almost exclusively with the twos all throughout camp. So his expectation was that we would see Cashman and Hewitt starting because they basically got all of the number one reps. Uh, to start the season or, or or throughout training camp, so I thought that was pretty uh, pretty telling. So we'll see if listen. Sometimes it's it's a thing, a, a depth chart like that. That might just be like out of respect for a veteran. Like, look, you're the backup. We're gonna we're gonna list you as the starter. You will see some reps, but in all reality, the bulk of the reps are gonna go to another guy. We'll see how that plays itself out. But um, yeah, listen, Cashman's a guy that if he can stay healthy, you know, he's. He's obviously got the physical tools to be a quality player. It's just a matter of staying on the field. Um, 
So that brings us, we've, we've done the D-line, we've done the linebackers, now we're moving into the secondary, the corners, Bless Austin, Pierre Desir, Nate Harrison, Arthur Mullet, Brian Poole, Quincy Wilson are the Jets' corners at the moment. Uh, Wilson will be a backup. He's, he's an interesting guy, draft day trade. Harrison was a guy that wasn't on the 53 initially. They brought him back. And the 53, by the way, at the moment is the 52. The Jets have an open roster spot. Uh, but Austin this year, Harrison Mollett, Poole with Wilson. Obviously, we expect Austin and Desir to be the starters. How do you like the cornerback group, Alex? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, you know, having Brian Poole be held back a few weeks due to uh, dehydration um, was a little alarming. Um, kind of figured that would be like one day, maybe two days at the most. And yeah, that was and weird. He missed some significant time um, due to dehydration. And apparently this is something that he dealt, he dealt with in the past. Um, so, you know, these guys, you know, as good as it is for them to be working out on their own and doing some stuff on their own, um, you know, sometimes they push themselves too hard and it ends up being detrimental. Um, so, you know, maybe that's, you know, the possible situation here. The guy overworked himself before he came into camp trying to be in good shape um, and just overdid it. Uh, so I just kind of hope that he doesn't have any setbacks. Um, you know, Nate Harrison, I would assume, is his backup in the nickel spot. Um, and, you know, he came in, he played, um, I believe, one or two games last year for Poole when he was dealing with concussion issues. Um, and Harrison had a pick in that, in that one game that he started. Familiar with Harrison, um, you know, not the best corner in the world, but we know what to expect from him. Um, and, yeah, year two of Bless Austin. Uh, I, you know, this guy seems to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Um, I kind of feel like he directed a tweet at me. I put out a tweet out there, um, you know, saying, like, this guy's in phenomenal shape and, you know, really, really expecting good things from him this year. And then within, like, hours later, it's like he writes something like, you know, don't don't be crowning me or giving me any sort of um, – you know, are boosting my morale in any shape or form for me doing what I'm supposed to do. I haven't accomplished anything yet or something like that. And I was like, okay. Yeah, uh, I, think I, saw, you, I think I saw that. And I, I wondered because yeah. I saw whatever your tweet and then I saw his tweet a little while later and I thought, oh, that's a little bit, uh, that's a heck of a coincidence. Yeah, cool. Alex cool. is praising him for being in great shape. And then he tweets, don't praise me for being in great shape. But listen, I like the well, mindset. I like the mentality. You know, you want a guy who's, yep. uh, who's, who's, you know, ultra focused on what he has to do to, to get better. So uh, that's, that's, a, that's obviously the, the way you want a guy to proceed. Um, and of course, uh, didn't mention Bryce Hall, who is on the reserve non-football injury list. He's a guy that uh, the Jets, I'm sure, view as a starting caliber player down the line. So we'll have to see what happens with him this season. Uh, you know, no, no need to rush him and, uh, and have any setbacks with that injury that he suffered in college. That brings us to the safety position. Marcus May, the returning senior member of the group. Uh, Bradley McDougald, who was acquired in the Jamal Adams trade. Matthias Farley makes the roster uh, for a second year in a row. And Ashton Davis, the rookie out of Cal. How do you like the safety group? What are your expectations, Alex? An interesting group. Um, You know, it seems to be my theme this year. Everybody, you know, piques my interest because I, I don't know what to expect from McDougal only things that I, you know, heard and read about. And um, apparently this guy has what it takes to start on the other 31 teams in the NFL. Uh, 
but clearly, um, you know, Seattle was looking for an upgrade at that position. That's why they went for Jamal. Uh, so I'd like to see what he has to offer. Um, he seems a little, uh, you know, somebody that has a bit of an attitude, you know, plays with a little bit of physicality when he's on the field. So I'd like to see how Greg Williams decides to deploy him. Um, will he have, you know, some time inside the box where, you know, he could be featured as an extra linebacker or an extra run stopper, you know, will he get swallowed up or is he going to thrive? Uh, so that, that, that intrigues me right there to see what kind of player McDougal um, is going to be. Um, and if this, this young safety and Ashton Davis um, apparently, you know, track star style speed and athleticism, uh, what kind of role is Williams going to throw uh, for him? Is he going to get playing time early on in the year? Is it going to be worked into the mix, you know, as he gets more familiar with what, what's going on? Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of keeping myself reserved with him, but, you know, with Marcus May kind of being in his prime window of his career, you know, this is the time in which we want to see Marcus May out of that, the, the shadow. I mean, I, th- I feel like, Jamal's been in the limelight for so long that, you know, Marcus May has been overlooked grossly. Um, You know, you and I, obviously, we know, you know, Jamal was able to do the things that he did because he had, you know, a good center fielder like Marcus May covering pretty much, you know, 60% of the field by himself back there in a single high set. So uh, what what will Greg Williams do with uh, Marcus May this year? Um, does he immediately take on Jamal's role? Does he stay in that free safety spot? Um, does he mix and match? Um, cause it kind of seems like we've got a few hybrids. So, uh, I definitely would like to see, um, you know, what exactly Greg Williams has in store for them. You know, I think with Jamal, it was basically get this guy as close to the football as you possibly can. Um, get him near the line of scrimmage, get him inside the tackle box. If you want to drop him into zone here and there, to mask, you know, blitzing coverages, you know, that might work. Um, we didn't see a lot of turnovers from Jamal. Uh, we did see a lot of play in, in, in the backfield. But now that you don't have a player that brings that dynamic, you know, how is the safety position going to change for the New York Jets? Uh, will we see more turnovers? Uh, you know, will we try to see people try to mirror what Jamal did um, in this group? You know, big question marks there. Uh, I'm excited, though. I think this is going to be a really good year for Marcus May. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, I hope he sees all 16 games because, you know, I don't want to put that injury um, label on him. But, you know, history says different. Well, that's the thing with May. Marcus May, you know, he's been in the league three years. He's played all 16 games two out of three years. Um, He had injuries one season, so... I think I think that gets thrown around a little too much with him, but he is the guy who you have to figure if anyone is going to be asked to do the things Jamal Adams did, it'll be Marcus May. But let's not fool ourselves. Marcus May is not Jamal Adams in terms of his ability to, you know, to, to use that short area quickness that, that Jamal Adams has to to beat blockers in the box and get into the backfield, and and you know that's why he racked up the sort of tackles for loss or stops at the line of scrimmage, you know, tackles within a yard or two of the line of scrimmage. So Marcus May won't be that guy. He won't be as good as Jamal Adams was. However, he can still be a quality guy in the box. He's not afraid to hit. He can cover. I think Ashton Davis is one of the more exciting rookies in this class for the very reason that you mentioned, that world-class speed where Greg Williams likes to play his guys deep. I would imagine he'll take advantage of, of, his, of Davis's speed and use him back there quite a bit 
in that uh, that deep safety spot. Um, I, I think that this is a kid who's going to – Greg Williams is going to give him an opportunity to make some plays, and it's just going to come down to whether or not he executes. McDougal, of course, it, it, you know, he was almost a throw-in. It's weird. He's a starting caliber player. I think most Jets fans would have happily taken that Seattle deal without McDougal. Like a couple of ones, absolutely, let's make it happen. Um, but you get a couple of picks, and, and then you get McDougal thrown in there as well. Uh, Farley is a guy who probably, you know, if everyone's healthy, he won't see the field a whole lot. And that brings us, Alex, to the specialists, the kicker, punter, long snapper. Uh, this should not take very long. What are your thoughts? Tom Hennessy, uh, most consistent guy on the team. There you go. Give that man a new contract. <laughs> I mean, that's about all I can say. I, I heard Sam Thicken won the job. Um, I still, I still can't believe that. That's I mean, actually the only know. aspect. That, I don't I get it. <laughs> it. I'll tell you, Alex. If mm. they lose this damn game on field goals, if this guy misses a couple of kicks and they lose by three, four points, I'll tell you what, man. I don't. I, I, I feel like Joe Douglas is treating the kicker position like it's not all that important. Um, yeah. Not a big freaking guy. Uh, and there were guy, there were a lot of guys let go, a lot of proven veteran kickers with better track records than Sam Ficken, and Joe, they didn't even bring him in for a workout. Jet, they were like, nope, we're good, we're fine. Um, so we'll see if that comes back to to haunt them. But it really, you I know, mean, you hear so I, much from this fan base on how you know smart and intelligent and and a mastermind that Brant Boyer is. I mean, I, I don't see it. I don't know what it is. I don't understand the infatuation. Um, you know, it's just I kind of feel like with the last couple of years that the man's just been simply lucky. Um, he had Andre Roberts with a really bad offense that has to, um, you know, it ends up having more returns than anything else. And the guy has one of the best averages in the league just due to technicality of, of, of a bad team. Um, you know, Locke Edwards has always had a monster leg, not always the most accurate guy, but as far as, you know, punting the ball 40 yards plus, he was always sound in that. I don't know what that has to do with Brent Boyer. Um, and then, you know, you just look at the kicker situation over the last couple of years. Um, you know, the closest thing that he brought to us, uh, Oh God! Now, now I forgot his name. Well, well, to, to be, to be fair, Bowl, to be fair, to Jason Myers had a career year under Jason him, Myers, and then, yeah. and then last year they just had bad kickers. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is Boyer speaking up and and saying that he feels like he can get Sam Ficken maybe to be a good handicap. I, I, you I'll know, tell maybe, you what. Maybe Gase and and the GM was like, yeah, you're gonna have to work with what we got. We're really not overly concerned about that. And and like you said, being a Joe Schmo that was sitting on the sidelines um, of those those training camps last year, and just watching missed field goal after missed field goal, and you know we're getting, you know each day we're getting closer to week one, and you know within that last ten days before kickoff, uh, we had three different guys competing for the job, and then we fired one or both, and we brought in the guy Vedvik is some Swedish dude that played for a week. He missed a field goal in that game. And what did we lose? 17 to 16 to Buffalo in week one last year. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. 
I mean, that's, and that, that's what you, I mean. It just you, doesn't you could seem like there's any urgency. Yeah. 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 It's, know, it's a, it it's a weird situation. And that's why I'm saying if, if they go out and they lose a couple, let's, let's say within the first four or five weeks of the season, they lose a couple of close games with missed field goals. I, I, that's a bad look, man. That they're, they really, you really just watch and you get the impression they either don't care, which they must care. Um, or they just think they know better than everyone because, they, like I said, a lot of kickers were let go who were on the market who were, you know, more established and proven than, than Ficken is. So we'll see what happens there. But as I mentioned earlier, Alex, um, and of course, Braden, man, uh, we're super excited. I mentioned earlier, have you ever been this excited to see an offensive lineman? I know I've never been this excited to see a punter. I want to see the two go out there week one and launch a 70-yard punt. Uh, that's just me. I maybe I don't know, maybe I'm on my own in that one. But um, the Jets, as I mentioned, Alex, they have a free roster spot. They brought in a couple guys to work out, and the name, the big name, literally and figuratively, uh, Hakeem Butler, uh, six foot what six four six five receiver who runs in the four fours, was a draft pick of the Arizona Cardinals last year. They basically said, sorry, we don't have this, we don't have enough room because uh, we're stacked at that position. They let him go. The second he was let go, Jets Twitter, myself included, they were like, bring this guy in for a workout. And the Jets did. Nothing in terms of a deal as of right now. But is is this a guy you think the Jets should, uh, should be pursuing, Alex? I'm sorry, you cut out there for a second. No, I was saying Hakeem Butler. The Jets brought him in for a workout. Is this a guy you think they should be looking to sign? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um you know, and that's what's kind of interesting, and that shows you how difficult it is to become a wide receiver in the NFL. Nakeem um, Butler was, you know, a monster of a guy that when he was coming into the draft, if I remember correctly, he had around, you know, 1,300 yards and, and you know, near nine or ten scores his uh, final year in college. And, you know, he was drawn up to be this, you know, mid-round sleeper. And, you know, I, I think he went like sixth or seventh round in the draft, you know, just kind of, just fell down the board dramatically. And, you know, and then, you know, people kind of came out, you know, and said, well, you know, his route running isn't great. And, you know, he dropped some passes and, you know, his um, contested catch rate is not great. And, you know, you find out all these little things apparently that didn't um, meet the, you know, uh, come away, you know, from these analysts being impressed. So just very, very interesting, but, you know, here he is, he's available. Um, You know, I don't know if he was brought in today or not, or if he's coming in some point in time this week for, for a workout. But, you know, with the situation that we have here, you know, you find a guy that has, you know, we'll just say average speed because I don't have the 40 time in front of me. Um, you want to talk about six foot five um, with, you know, catch radius and could be a big body receiver in the red zone. You know, we just need guys out there to make one or two plays a game and, you know, if he's the kind of guy that takes, like, let's say, a, a Plaxico Burris role and you only bring him in when you're inside the, the 30, the 40-yard line um, just so that he can use his size to take advantage of, you know, smaller cornerbacks or defensive backs, um, that's the kind of guy that can do that. And he can win when the ball's in the air. So, um, you know, looking at what we have right now, um, I don't really see how the Jets um, – you know, wouldn't sign a guy like this. I mean, they brought in Kevin White uh, a few weeks ago, and this was a former first-round pick. You know, yeah, White signed in San Francisco. You know, we all know, 
and he goes and signs elsewhere. So, um, you know, clearly the Jets are being a little picky, but, you know, you're a few days away from week one. Um, you're looking very thin at the moment. And, you know, what we have today will not be the same team, you know, three weeks or weeks from now. So I would, I would take a flyer on this guy, um, even if it's like getting him on the practice squad or something like that. Um, get him in-house and, you know, continue to, you know, see if you can coach him up and, and maybe crack the starting lineup and, and contribute at some point. You know, that would be my game plan with Butler. Absolutely. And speaking of starting lineups, if you're a business owner, you know who should be in your starting lineup? Miles Social. That's right. Jet Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. If you're struggling to manage all the social media platforms for your business because you're wearing too many hats, you got too much going on, you need someone to step in and take over, contact Miles Social. Go to milesocial.com. That is M-I-L-E Social. Milesocial.com. Whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it may be, Miles Social has you covered. That's M-I-L-E Social, milesocial.com. Check them out if you need help managing your business's online platforms. So, Alex, we've covered the roster. I wanted to talk now about the practice squad, normally limited to 10 this year because of COVID-16. I'm just going to rattle off the names, and you feel free to chime in with thoughts on any of the players you desire. I don't expect you to comment on all 16 guys. But here we go. Here's what the Jets came up with alphabetically. Uh, running back Josh Adams, uh, receiver Lawrence Kager, undrafted rookie free agent David Fales, who we've discussed, Javelin Gidry, the speedy corner out of Utah, Bennett Jackson, the, the defensive back out of Notre Dame. He's been in the league a few years now, spent some time with the Jets. Lamar Jackson, another undrafted guy, Bronson and Corbin, the Kalfusi brothers. Zane Lewis, who signed not long ago, is an Air Force guy, so I'm I'm all I'm on the Zane Lewis hype train. Uh, Josh Malone, Dante Moncrief, and DJ Montgomery, all three wide receivers. Then you've got O lineman James Murray, tight end Ross Travis, and quarterback Mike White. Anyone in particular that you were especially happy to see hang around, Alex? Sorry about that. Here I am. Um, I wanted Cager um, to hang around. Uh, I've been hearing that he had, uh, you know, a pretty good camp. Um, I, I didn't want him to become like the Trey McBride or um, who was the other guy named Whitehead or something like that. You know, there always seems to be this wide receiver that's, you know, making plays every day and he looks great. Ryan Spadola. And, you know, you know and, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, we get to that, the cut week and, and that guy's, you know, bagging groceries. So, um, I was kind of hoping that wasn't going to be one of those scenarios. So, uh, you know, Cager, big body guy, um, you know, physical receiver, can stretch the field. You know, these are the type of things that apparently uh, offensive mo- coordinators and, you know, they're looking for guys that, you know, can make plays down the field because that's kind of how the game has changed now. Um, so as a UDFA um, hopefully he becomes, you know, another one of those Jets wide receivers that becomes a nice story for us and, and a contributor at some point down the line. Uh, you know, when I saw Lamar Jackson, um, the cornerback get, get cut, you know, I, I kind of thought he was going to stick. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I didn't really have the uh, the measurements on him. Um, he's kind of like built like a safety. He's like 6'2", 210 pounds or something like that. And I, re- re- I thought 
somebody had said that, you know, he has a future as a nickel corner, pretty big nickel corner, um, you know, at somebody at 210 pounds. So, yeah, I don't see a 6'2 nickel. I don't see that. Yeah, it just doesn't really add up that way for me. Um, but, you know, they say the talent's there. So I would kind of want to see um, what he has to offer. Um, you know, another guy, Shaheem Carter, I kind of thought he was going to hang around. But, uh, you know, even with an extended uh, roster, um, you know, you can't keep them all. So. Yeah, that was a weird uh, one. I, I remember being really surprised when they said he got the biggest signing bonus of all the undrafted free agents because he was the least appealing guy to me. I, just, I watched some of his some of his uh, couple of Alabama games and focused on him and watched some of his highlight reels, and I just thought, all right, you know, he's not really fast, he's not really quick, he's not, he's like a decent player on a great team. I just, I don't know, of, of all the undrafted free on a great agents, Nick team, yeah. Yeah, like, honestly, like, if I had a, you know, thinking back, I think him and Guidry were the two guys I looked at as like, ah, they're just kind of there. They're not going to make it. Um, and then I hear they gave Carter the biggest bonus, and I thought, well, I guess they see something they like there. But listen, that sometimes plays a role in our projections. I know I've done it in the past, but just, you know, having mentioned that out loud, um, the guys who got the two biggest signing bonuses, undrafted free agents, Shyam Carter and Jared Hilbers, both gone. So, so much for that. But go ahead, Alex. Um, and, you know, the, I guess the most surprising one um, was uh, Moncrief, uh, the, the wide receiver. He's kind of been around the league, you know, at the Colts and in uh, the Steelers. I kind of feel like maybe he just doesn't know enough of the offense as of yet to be on the active roster. And stashing him on the practice squad, keeping him in-house, um, I have a feeling that he's, he might be called upon uh, before we know it. And uh, Mm -hmm. you look at the amount of experience on this team and, you know, you know, who's the most experienced out of the wall, Chris Hogan and, and, um, you know, Jameson Crowder. Yeah. Out of everybody that, you know, so. I mean, Perriman's, you know, a little bit of a vet. He's been, he's hung around a little bit, you know, hasn't had a significant role. Uh, per se, but, you know, I just kind of felt like, you know, veterans are kind of important when it comes to getting younger guys acclimated and um, kind of showing them through the ropes and teaching them how to pick up tendencies when they're on the field, you know, when a guy's giving you inside leverage or outside leverage, you know, he could be tipping his hand on this or that, you know, you really won't get a feeling from that unless if you have somebody that's helping you work through the film and kind of pointing out those little nuances that you need when you're on there and you need to, you know, react in an instant from what you see on the field. And, you know, a lot of these guys, like you said, Mims hasn't gone up against anyone, um, you know, besides hanging around in shorts and, you know, stretching and kind of going through the motion. So, you know, a guy like that's going to need someone, you know, and thank God we've got Heinz Warden house now. Um, Cause I'm sure, you know, there's no better wide receiver to pick, pick off the, you know, someone's brain than him. So, you know, you need those guys that are, that have experience just to show those younger guys, you know, this is the way you got to do it. You know, this is how you got to practice. This is the way you got to train. You know, this is the way you have to react when you're seeing this, in this situation. So, you know, vets are definitely important in certain aspects. You know, it's not all about just being young and hungry, you know, you can be young and hungry and, and not good at football. Um, you know, and, you know, look at Frank Gore the guys, what, 38 years old. 
you know, he's clearly not the fastest guy. He's clearly not the strongest guy, but the way he plays the game, it keeps him here. Um, so, you know, I have a feeling that out of this practice squad, uh, Moncrief is probably going to be one of the first people I would think um, gets, you know, promoted. Yeah, he's, you know, that's, that's one of the, uh, one of the things with the practice squad this year, you can have six veterans uh, who have had, you know, no matter how much time they've had in the NFL, you can carry them, which is usually not the case. So Moncrief in his seventh season, uh, but he has, he's had some productive seasons. He, he did some good things with the Colts. I believe he had his best year with the Jaguars. So he's, he's a guy that I think you're right, Alex. I think given how thin they are at receiver and the fact that he's a, a guy who's proven he can play, I think we might see him on the roster at some point. Lawrence Kager was a guy that a lot of us hoped would make the roster 6'5". And, you know, maybe he would have if not for that knee injury. He seemed like he was coming on those last couple weeks of camp, and then he missed the final few practices with that bad knee. So, you know, and Josh Adams, the running back, he's a guy the Jets clearly like. And, if you know, we talked earlier about Rich Samini's projection that Le'Veon Bell would get traded. If that transpires, maybe Adams is the guy who gets bumped up on the roster to replace him. Lamar Jackson, we've talked about, is a guy some people viewed him as a draftable player at Nebraska. You know, there were some folks who had him down as a day three pick. So he's a guy that you hope hangs around because, listen, you you say it all, everyone says it. You know, you can't have enough corners. If you can kind of develop him into a serviceable guy, then why not? Uh, Mike White, I've, I've, my, my thoughts on Mike White are well known. I actually went back and looked at my, my Twitter history leading up to the year he was drafted, and I had about a million Mike White tweets. I really, I wanted him as a late round pick to, uh, to be brought along as Sam Donald's backup because that was the year we knew they were taking a quarterback in round one. But I still wanted Mike White on the roster, so that may come to fruition in the end. But James Murray, James Murray. Holy Cross offensive lineman. I actually really like this one. Uh, he spent some time with the Kansas City Chiefs. Small school guy. So anytime you bring in these small school undrafted guys, you know they're going to need a couple years to develop. I went back and watched some of his uh, action with Kansas City in preseason a couple years ago, and I actually kind of liked him. Um, and I was glad to see them bring him back because this is what they need. They need some of these young developmental guys because, you know, even though you drafted Cam Clark, and you draft them Mackay Becton, and you have, you know, to me, Alex Lewis, Van Roten and Alex Lewis, great to have them. Glad the, the line's better with them. But those guys are on deals that are, you know, beneficial to the team if they're cut. Um, so I think that's why they want a Cam Clark and a James Murray. If they can bring some of these guys along and give them a chance to develop, and not just Murray, really. I mean, they, there may be other young interior guys brought in, but I think the Jets are kind of eyeing this as, you know, Alex Lewis, nice enough player. Greg Van Roten, nice enough player. Guys you can get by with. But uh, guys you can also replace in a hurry if you find an upgrade. And, again, with the, with the money the Jets had saved by doing that, um, Murray is an interesting guy for that reason as far as I'm concerned. So, Alex, let's, let's go ahead and do uh, five bold predictions for the upcoming 2020 season. You can get as crazy as you want. You can say Sam Donald is going to have 25 rushing touchdowns. It, no rules. <laughs> Five bold predict. Try to, you know, we try to keep it realistic. There's no point in just getting crazy. You can, you can get nuts if you want. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but have at it. Um, so we'll go. We'll go. Bait. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, we'll go. Uh, we'll go one for one, one at a time. Uh, go ahead and start us off, Alex. Give me, uh, give me your first of five bold predictions. Okay. 
Um, let me go here. I can go with this formation here. I was trying to rank them real quick inside my head here, but it's fine. All right, so number one, bold prediction for this year, Jordan Jenkins will break 10 sacks or more this season in Greg Williams' system. Bold prediction number one, book it. All right, well, listen, uh, he's been in that neighborhood, but he's never done it before, so that's uh, that's not exactly, uh, you know, something that is a is far from a given. And I hope you're right. I think I predicted that last year, and that didn't work out. I think he had eight. Uh, seven or eight. So he was in the neighborhood, but didn't get it done uh, for me. And of course, this is the guy can manage to keep himself healthy, but I'm going to say that before the season is over, that, that gives me up until week 17, but before the season is over, even if everyone is healthy, I think Cam Clark takes Alex Lewis's starting job at left guard. Wow. I like that. I think I'm telling you, I think they like him. I like him. He was my favorite pick outside of round one. So uh, we'll see how that goes down. Wow. Wow. I don't know if I – how could I, you know, come after that one? That was great. I mean, it's – Okay. Yes. I, listen, Lewis had a penalty every game for like five weeks in a row last year. The thing with him last year is that that O-line was so terrible that he was like, okay. But he looked great because right. he wasn't terrible. Yeah. Um, now that they've made yeah. these upgrades – he might be the weak link. We'll find out. No, I, I completely agree. And, and trust me, I, you know, my dad was a big offensive line player. He played some college ball and he played the nose tackle too. So, you know, watching football with him growing up, I've always kind of gotten his perspective on who's doing what, who's doing right on, on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I've kind of taken that into my, you know, analysis and how I watch this team and, like you said, there was four or five weeks in a row where, you know, Lewis was good for at least one, and, and normally the ones that he was getting penalized on were, were big plays, you know. They were always big. They always called back I a first down or a touchdown. Le'Veon Bell would have been his biggest run of the season. Like, it was always a big penalty. Yep, yep. And, you know, maybe that's why he's getting <laughs> – our running backs are running so well because he's cheating, but – you know, who knows, but I like that prediction. And, you know, if, if something like that happens, I'm not going to be upset. All right. Yeah. Let me go for my second bold prediction for this year is the Jets are going to have a thousand yard receiver this season. And it will be no other than Jamison Crowder. Okay. That's, I mean, listen, I, I don't, I don't think it's out of the question. I think, uh, the, you know, the Jets, He's the most experienced guy in the room. He's got uh, plenty of chemistry with Sam Darnold. I think it, it was a weird thing, um, and not to make all of this about gaze bashing, but there were a lot of times last year when the Jets, you know, we talked about they had that run of five, six weeks in a row where they scored a, a touchdown on the opening drive, and Jamison Crowder was always involved in that. And, he, you know, he'd have two, three catches on the first drive, and then he'd have one catch the rest of the game. And I was always like, what the hell is going on here? When you get this guy involved, he gets open, he makes plays, you move the ball, and then he doesn't see another target for two and a half quarters. Um, but hopefully they learn from that and, uh, and, and get him heavily involved and make something happen. Um, my, uh, my, number, my second bold prediction is that I am going to take Adam Gase at his word. I am going to believe him when he says he's going to get Le'Veon Bell more involved in the passing game. 
And as a result, I'm going to say Le'Veon Bell will not have a career year as a receiver. But for just the second time in his career, he is going to have 700 yards receiving. Another prediction that I would love to see happen. And that, yeah, you know, obviously, I mean, if, Gase, if he knows anything, um, he's got to get 26 out in space so he can, you know, be on that Sunday night highlight reel. Um, you know, we got to see, we got to see some more plays, more explosion out of 26 this year. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I think he right, only had so, one season where he had over 700 yards um, in Pittsburgh as a receiver. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, 2014, he had 854. Uh, that's the only time he's topped 700 yards. So I'm going to say this season for just a third time in his career, he'll top 700. What do you got next, Alex? Okay. Um, sticking with the receivers here, and I'm putting in that Denzel Mims can't go with yards because I'm not unsure of that, but he has maybe not the most, but he'll be tied for the most touchdowns, receiving touchdowns out of the receiver group this year, and he'll end up with five touchdowns in his rookie year. All right. I mean, listen, we talked about, or I mentioned earlier how he didn't get any real reps. He's not seen any, any reps against live action. And I think, I think a five touchdown season for a a rookie player who didn't have a training camp wouldn't be a bad season at all. Uh, I'm going to go with another rookie prediction here. Again, tough to go with a number, but the, the Jets don't exactly have a, a ball hawking secondary with, with, you know, you don't look at any of these corners and say, Oh, that guy's going to have five, six picks. Um, I think, you know, kind of four interceptions will lead the team. And I think that's, I think the guy who's going to do that is Ashton Davis. I think he's going to have three or four picks and he will lead the team in interceptions. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, we both talked earlier about the speed he brings the ground he covers. I think Greg Williams is going to give him an opportunity to excel and I think Ashton Davis, Ashton Davis will do something Jamal Adams has never done. And at some point this season, Ashton Davis will intercept a starting NFL cornerback. Nice. <laughs> I like how you threw that in there. Um, all right. So for prediction number four, and this one is a special one for me. Um, you know, like I, I talked about him before, you know, being in the shadow of Jamal Adams, and I'm talking about Marcus May, I believe that this will be the year that Marcus May gets into the Pro Bowl. Um, Ooh. I just have a, I have a feeling that the way Greg Williams runs this off defense and how he, you know, puts players in certain positions where they can thrive. Um, you know, we saw Jamal almost break. The, the sack record for defensive backs last year, uh, you know, Burgess had one of his best seasons um, with Williams. So did Hewitt. Um, and, uh, you know, who else played lights out um, for him last year? Uh, sorry, Brian Poole put up his best season that he's had with uh, Greg Williams. So this year I think the man uh, that will be in the spotlight come year end will be Marcus May um, and he's going to make Joe Douglas's life very difficult on whether or not if he should let him walk and hope for a compensation pick down the line or does he pay out you know top money to a position that kind of is overlooked 
in the league right now. Um, even though since Jamal got moved, a lot of other defensive backs and defensive players have gotten some pretty lucrative contracts. Um, but I, I have a feeling that Marcus May is going to keep Joe Douglas up at night on whether or not if he should be giving him the big, the big deal, mega contract um, that Jamal was hoping for. All right. And I'm going to go with second-year defensive lineman Quinnen Williams. I think he flashed on film last year. People don't appreciate what he did because it doesn't show up in your fantasy football scorecard um, or your box score, rather. I'm going to say Quinnen Williams, who only had two and a half sacks last year, more than doubles that and gets himself eight sacks this season. You know, and, and Lord knows we need somebody up front to step into that role and be a dominator. And that's kind of why we drafted him. So this uh, will make my last prediction. Um, and this will be what I hope really does happen because I feel like New York needs it. And I think this is going to be the year where Sam Darnold not only takes a step, he takes a leap. And we'll be looking at a young quarterback in year three that throws for 28 touchdowns this year. And that is my prediction. I wanted to go over 30, but I talked myself back, and I said we're going to put it at 28. That's the number I'm going to be looking at this year. I think Sammy's going to, going to start lighting it up. Things are going to start clicking for him, you know, predicated that everything else comes into to alignment here. But I really feel like the sky's the limit for, for Sam Donald. Well, you know what, Alex? I did go over that number. That's my prediction. Said it last year, and I'm going to say it every year until he does it. Sam Donald's <laughs> going to set the team record for touchdown passes. It's 31 by Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm saying at least 32 for Sam Donald. Um, I think he's, you know, he can be a streaky guy. I think he'll have a couple games where he throws four or five touchdowns and then kind of sprinkle in your, your, your ones, twos, and threes along the way over a 16-game season, getting him to 32. Uh, I, don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be a situation where you're getting you know, top-level production every single week because of the fact that it is a new O-line. There will be growing pains, and I don't have the most faith in Adam Gase, which brings us, Alex, to our prediction for the team, the Jets' final record this season, and then we will go into the week one predictions, key matchups, if you will, uh, between the Jets and Bills with a score prediction before we wrap things up. So, Alex, the 2020 New York Jets' final record will be? Okay. I have the Jets upsetting some teams this year. Um, Strength of schedule means nothing to me because what we see today will not be what we see in a month or or two months or three months from now. Rosters change every day. So I have the Jets going 9-7 and seven this year. Um, I know I said a couple weeks ago it was 7-9 and 9-7 nine and nine and seven with Jamal, 7-9 and nine without Jamal, but you know, one thing but that I've known about this season is getting team, close and you're getting excited and you can't contain your excitement and you watch videos on YouTube like all it. of us and you think they're going 16 <laughs> and 0 and then you have to reel it into a number where people want to absolutely, you know, uh uh attack you on Twitter. So you got to go 9 and 7. I can't blame you. Didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead and carry on, Alex. No. 
that that that's just the way I see it. Um, unfortunately, I've been pretty accurate in years past with with the, my predictions, um, and I've been below 500 for the last few years. And I don't know, something just feels different, even though with all the craziness that's going on in the world, and you know, even though we're not getting the prettiest of pictures painted from our guys on the beat with what happened in training camp, you know, one thing that I realized is that all of the teams in the NFL are going exactly through the same process that the Jets are going through at this point in time. So why should it be any different for anybody else? You know, why should we be just penciling off wins for teams that we don't really know, you know, at this point in time? Um, well, so that's the way I feel about it. Um, and don't, don't make me look bad, Adam Gase. Just, just do your job. Well, it's funny you say nine and seven, Alex, because I, th- I think I've said on the show before, I was talking to someone earlier today, uh, I think that is this team's ceiling. I think if everything goes right, they catch every break, they stay healthy, Adam Gates figures out what he's doing, I think this team goes nine and seven. However, how often do we see a team stay injury-free and everything go exactly as you would hope? Rarely, right. if ever. I'm going to say six and ten for Adam Gase and the Jets in 2020. I don't know if that's, I mean, so much of it is going to depend on the play of Sam Darnold. If Darnold plays great, probably comes back. So that's, that, that's the downside of me saying 32 touchdowns for Darnold, because if that happens, we're probably getting another, another season of Adam Gase. But one thing, one thought I had, Alex, and I don't want to go too long on this, but I do want to throw this out there because I, it, it hit me earlier. I, I, I've said a couple times during the, the offseason that this, the global pandemic, this situation, could actually help Adam Gase in that if this team does go out and win four games or five games or six games and they just don't look good, I thought, you know, Chris Johnson wants him here. They can fall back on the COVID excuse. They can say, oh, well, we had four new O-linemen, not enough time to learn, not enough reps not really fair to fire Adam at this point. We got to give him another year based on six wins. That was my thought process for much of this. But then I thought, looking at it from the other perspective, because of COVID, owners aren't going to have fans in the stadiums this year. They're going to lose more money on attendance than they ever would have imagined. And their number one goal next year is going to be to sell tons of tickets. Are you going to sell tons of tickets if Adam Gase goes 6-10 and 10 and you bring him back? Or are you going to sell more tickets if you hire Eric Bieniemy and you have all these draft picks to get the fans fired up over a fresh start? I think a poor season, actually, because of COVID, because of attendance, I think it might get him fired. I really thought it would be – I thought COVID would be the excuse that saved his job. Because Chris Johnson spoke so highly about him when he was hired, Adam Gase is the man who's bringing football where it's going. Like, that's about the most glowing comment you can make about a coach, basically saying this guy is the future of the NFL. Um, six and ten, seven and nine, and an angry fan base not renewing season tickets a year after they couldn't step foot in the, set foot in the stadium. I'm starting to, I'm starting to waver on my own. My own thought process was COVID could save Adam Gase's career. With the Jets, it could actually, because of attendance numbers, uh, could impact it negatively. Sorry, Alex, I didn't mean to go off uh, quite as long on that. But like I said, it was literally a thought that hit me before we went on the air. 
And I thought maybe I'm reading this wrong. Maybe, maybe they, you know, the, the desire to, to follow up a, a, a fan free season, the goal will be ticket sales. And Adam Gase does not sell tickets. If he goes six and 10 bills, jets, week one, Alex, give me some of your key matchups and a score prediction. And we will wrap this thing up. So, you know, everybody always likes to predicate things on, on what you did last year. And that's a good, you know, standpoint to base things off of. But each year I see teams that are in the top, you know, we're in the top echelon from the year prior. And then they find themselves in the mid tier or lower end of the league. And then I see teams that are in the bottom of the barrel working their way to the top in a calendar year. Um, Kind of similar to what San Francisco did. I mean, this was a team that was drafting, in the top five, in the top ten the last few years, they finally get their defense right. They get a healthy quarterback and things click on offense for one year, and they find themselves in the Super Bowl. So anything can happen um, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not as impressed or taken away by this Buffalo Bills team as as people may say. Um, You know, I look at this lineup, and I think we match up better than people seem to think than we do. Um, yes, there are some advantages that Buffalo Bills have with us, but they're selective. Um, you know, mainly when we're looking at the, the offense here, um, the biggest threat, I am going to say, Stephon Diggs, their new wide receiver that they got from the, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and I believe that Greg Williams has a plan to keep him, you know, under lid. Um, I don't feel that he's going to be running wild against us. So he's the only person that I see offensively that I'm kind of concerned with. Um, right now we're looking at their offensive line of Dean Dawkins, uh, Quentin Spain, Mitch Morse, Brian Winters, and Cody Ford. Out of this entire group, the only people that I kind of feel that are something of formidable on this offensive line is maybe Morrison Dawkins. Um, So I feel that we can get pressure on Josh Allen. And we've seen what happens when you put pressure on Josh Allen. He makes mistakes. He throws bad football. Yes, he can throw a mile. Yes, he can run, you know, like like a young Cam Newton as a running back when he gets into space. But we have speed on our defense, and we have guys that, can stay stride for stride with a player like him. So I'm really, really not overly concerned about what this offense from Buffalo can do. Their defense is pretty solid. um, And that's where probably the biggest challenge is going to be at the end of the day. um, You know, you look at particular matchups that they have here, you know, their best players, you're probably looking at, you know, Trayman Edmonds in the middle. You're looking at um, Tredavious white on the outside and, you know, back deep, um, uh, I think his name is Jordan Poyer, probably, you know, their best three guys. Um, if I'm a smart guy, I'm going after Josh Norman, the older guy that's in their, their secondary group, and I'm looking to attack his side of the field. You know, this is a guy that, you know, a little long in the tooth, pretty much a primarily a zone corner. You know, if you find a way to get one-on-one matchups with either Perriman or Mims, I like my odds against Josh Norman trying to cover one of our speedsters on the outside. So I have a strong feeling that, you know, we are going to be able to do 
do more than what people are expecting us to do. And when going back to the Buffalo Bills offense, Devin Singletary had the most fumbles of all running backs last year, and apparently he has been struggling throughout camp um, with his fumble injury um, concerns. So I'm anticipating Devin Singletary to cough one up to us. I'm predicting that Josh Norman's going to get cooked by one of our outside receivers, and Jets are going to come away from this, I want to say, 23-17 to 17 New York Jets, 1-0 after the first week. All right, Alex. Um, very optimistic outlook. I can appreciate that. I think basically, you know, going off the, the philosophy that it all starts up front, you know, you name some of the guys up front for the Bills, and I'll just I'll, – I'll say this. Um, it's going to be fun – and, you know, we knew this was going to be fun for years – uh, Quinn and Williams and Ed Oliver, both great young interior defensive players who will, you know, both take them in the same class and will give each other's, you know, will give the opposing teams fits for years, uh, for years to come. But I'll, I'll tell you this right now. If, if Quinn and Williams doesn't eat Brian Winters' lunch, Jets fans are going to freak out. I mean, yeah. listen, I, I've, I love the pick. I've defended the pick. I've told people they were idiots for giving up on this kid. If he gets some one-on-ones with Brian Winters and can't blow him up and get into the backfield and at least at least pressure the hell out of Josh Allen, Jets fans are going to be livid, and rightfully so. I mean, It's not going to get a lot easier than this. Okay, we've, we've had to endure Brian Winters, who I've said a million times, High character, love the guy, warrior, tough guy, take him into a back alley brawl, you want him on your side, all that stuff, loyal, team first, blah, 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 blah. Not a very good player. He was a few few years ago, he was a solid, nice interior player. But the injuries have taken their toll, and we have seen Brian Winters do nothing but get beaten up over the past two, three years on the interior when Quinn and Williams, because they move him around, he'll he'll line up over center, over left guard, you know, different gaps. It's not as if he's only going to face one guy all day. When he's one-to-one with Brian Winters, if he doesn't abuse him, fans are going to freak out. And I really can't blame them. Um, at the very least, because Mitch, now Mitch Morris is a good center in the middle. Um, if Buffalo sends Morris to Williams' side all day, uh that makes it a little, you know, a little bit more acceptable, I guess I should say. But mm-hmm. if he gets one-on-ones with Brian, with Brian Winters and, and doesn't come away with a sack or two and multiple pressures, uh, it, it's not going to be a good day on, uh, on the old Jets Twitter there for Quinn and Williams. Um, one of the key matchups that worries me a little bit, I mean, you mentioned, listen, Diggs is going to face the seer probably most of the day. I'm sure he'll get Bless Austin too, um, and this is why this is why it's so important up front to get some pressure because Diggs is just a superior player no matter who he's matching up with in that secondary. Um, but if the ball has to come out in a hurry, then you're getting into the Cole Beasley versus Brian Poole matchup, which I think could be big. You know, does Beasley come away with a bunch of catches if the Jets can manage to generate some pressure? And that's going to come down to Greg Williams and see how he can get that done. But I really feel like the Jets are going to get good pressure up the middle. Uh, again, liking that matchup with Brian Winters. Uh, really, 
whether it's Fadakasi, whether it's Henry Anderson, whether it's Quinn and Williams, I really feel like any of those guys should be able to get the best of Brian Winters, Brian Winters um, for most of the day. Whether or not that happens, we'll see. But the other big one is, uh, is Herndon versus these safeties, um, Hyde and Poyer, two really good safeties in the middle of the field. And, and again, we talked about Griffin. Really, it's, it's those, those four guys, Herndon and Griffin and Hyde Poyer. If the tight ends can get open and make some plays down the field, I, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, and I, I, I hate to go against the Jets in week one. And, and listen, if you say I'm overly negative – I'm the idiot that's going to go and, you know, place my yearly $100, well, I'm in England now, 100-pound bet on the Jets to win the Super Bowl, as I do every year. Um, by the time the team actually wins a damn Super Bowl, all I'm going to do is break even from all the years I've thrown away $100 on them. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go place my 100-pound bet on the Jets to win the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm taking the bills in this one. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think the Jets are going to have a hard time moving the ball against a really good defense. And and prove me wrong, Adam Gase. Like, he's the reason yeah. why. I'm looking at the personnel. Yeah. I'm like, O-line's better. Love Darnold. Bell can catch the ball. Herndon can catch the ball. Crowder can catch the ball. Speed guys on the outside. I feel like the guys are there. I feel like yeah. if you told me that Bruce Arians was the head coach, I'd say the team was going to go out and score, you know, 28, 34 points. But it's Adam Gase. It's the 32nd-ranked offense in the NFL last year. It's the guy who's never finished in the top 20 without Peyton Manning. So until he gives me a reason to think he can get it done, I got to say, I think they go out and lose this game, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood, let's say, let's say, let's say 17-13. 17-13 Bills, and uh, the Jets better not miss, like, three field goals. Um, oh. And that's it. That, that, that's my thoughts. Those are my thoughts on this week, this season. We got our bold predictions in. We got our roster recap in. We got our record prediction in, and week one preview in. I'll, I'll go a little more in depth on the on the preview. On uh, I'll do a, a I'll do a write up on that on Jet Nation. Check that out in a couple days. But Alex, it is football season, my friend. Thank you for uh, it's it's been a crazy crazy off season. We apologize inconsistency with the show. Some weeks it's Tuesday. Some weeks it's Wednesday. Some weeks it's Thursday. We're gonna do everything we can from this point on, make it Tuesdays at six. Uh, You know, uh, for me, college starting up again, work schedule to balance. So I got to, got to get some stability there. So um, the goal from this point on is every Tuesday at six. So thank you for joining us. Alex, do you have anything to add before we go? Hey, Jets fans, we made it. This is our time to shine in Sam Darnold. We trust. Let's go Jets. All right. Thanks for tuning in Jets fans. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, we're doing this show Tuesday at 6, and everyone is saying, Glenn, what a jackass you are. You said 17-10 Bills, and it was, uh, you know, 37 nothing Jets. Here, you know, he, here's the hope, and that's the case. Nothing would make me happier. Have a great week, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!